Patience is something to ponder, oh Your talent ain't something to squander, oh Blessed and favored so high Me, anointed, appointed, I might be This is that, all that podcast featuring Kyrie Season 3 is here, finally <laughs> whoop, whoop. And you're the first guest for season 3 by the way. So guys, we are in, not in Houston, as usual, we are in LA. That's right. Welcome. On Sunset Boulevard. (laughs) (laughs) Man, it feels good to be out here. I'm not gonna, the energy here is is different than Houston. No disrespect. Love the H, but this is different. I'm so glad, man. I've never been to Houston. I've always wanted to go. You should come. Yeah. Just hit me up when you come. I will. Have a good time. And, I, I, and then I, I'll send you my favorite food spots like you did for me. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I have a lot of friends who are from Texas, and oh, yeah? they always have such a, they're obviously so hospitable, so down to earth, so kind. LA is an amazing place, but sometimes LA people can be a little <laughs> we're, difficult. We're big on our manners. That's right. Texas. <laughs> so uh, let me introduce you. Um, this is Kevin Nahai. He is a life coach, a mentor, an inspiration. Thank you, man. He's now in like a, I can, I'm going to call you an influencer. He's an influencer, guys, <laughs> <laughs> on social media. And uh, I wanted to have you on because I think your story is something that a lot of people um, can relate to and get something from because now, you know, it's kind of like a, I don't even feel right calling it trendy because we have mm. like a negative connotation to trendy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mental health is a, you know, trendy thing now. And more people are coming out about it and, you know, being more transparent about it. And not to, you know, we're going to get to <laughs> everything, but the way you w- were able to navigate through and then ultimately make it to the point you are now, I think, can help a lot of people. So thank you, man. Thank you for coming on. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so. Your journey started when you were 19, am I correct? That's correct. You were just going into college, and you found out you had Crohn's disease. Yes. So having to find out that you had that disease, which is incurable, right? Yes. Okay, so finding out that you had that disease while you're in this transformative period in your life already, in your first year of college, can you take us through that moment when you when you found out the news and what was your reaction yeah um that's a great question i don't think people i don't think anybody has asked me take me back to that moment when you found out yeah um that's that's a a great question so yeah when i was uh when i was 18 in high school Mm -hmm. i was very popular and i had a lot of friends and i was healthy and happy and just generally doing well and having a good life thank god um Summer before college, I was pretty nervous because I was about to leave everything that I knew. And obviously, it's a time of transition. And then my first month of college, I became extremely sick. And I started having internal bleeding in my stomach. And I was not able to hold down any food. And I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out, you know, was this stress? Was this a stomach bug? You know, I I, I really didn't know what, what was going on. And, um this transition hit me like a ton of bricks because I had left my family, left my friends, left this very small school where I grew up. How far away away were you from your hometown? Not far uh, in terms of miles because I went to USC here in downtown. But it was a new environment. Exactly. And I do not do well with change. Right. So 
basically what happened was I got extremely sick, but I sort of tried to hide it for about two weeks. I didn't tell anybody and I was kind of pretending that it was going to go away. And then one day I got so sick that I had to be uh, taken to the ER and, um, you know, I had to call my parents and tell them what had been going on the last couple of weeks. And of course they were like, well, what the hell? Why haven't you told us about these symptoms? And, you know, you're, you're bleeding and you're throwing up and your pain. And they saw that I had lost like 12 pounds within the first two weeks of school or something crazy like that. So they asked me, you know, what the hell was going on? And I went to the ER and at the ER, they told me, look, we think there might be something wrong with your stomach. You need to go to a specialist. So I went to a specialist, God bless him. And, um, you know, he was really the first person who was able to kind of tell me what was going on, ran a bunch of tests. And he told me that I have ulcerative colitis, which is kind of like the ugly step cousin of Crohn's disease. So Crohn's and colitis are very similar. Um, they're both vicious autoimmune diseases of the stomach and they're incurable. And, um, the thing with autoimmune diseases that I didn't know at the time is that they are 100% exacerbated by stress. So stop you there. Okay. So my book club choice, um, is called what, what happened to you, Mm. um, by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry. Nice. And they talk extensively in this book about how the things you go through, um, specifically in your childhood, can lead to health problems. Physical ailments, and yes. people don't think about that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. literally stress can – like, I did an ACE test with my, my Instagram followers. And the ACE test is based on these 10 questions that um, they came up with. And the higher your score, the more likely you were – to have severe health issues mm. in your future. And so when I was doing research for this podcast and I heard you say that, I was like, whoa, they said also said this in this book and it's something that people really don't put together. They don't put two and two together, like literally stress and the things you go through as a child and as an adult can lead to major, major health issues. Exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. The first time I learned this was when I was 24, after I had already had this disease for five years. And this was why the disease, I was battling it and losing over and over again, because I was trying to treat the physical symptoms. I was trying to take a bunch of medications and, you know, do surgery and go to the hospital and do this and that to get rid of the physical ailments. But I didn't understand that really what I needed to treat was the underlying psychological and emotional issues that caused me to end up with this disease in the first place. What, what was it that gave you that enlightenment? A book, book. called When the Body Says No. Okay. Um, the st- it's called When the Body Says No, The Stress Disease Connection. Mm-hmm. And it's by an Eastern European doctor. His name is Gabor Mate. I can send you the link. Okay. Um, but now more and more, researchers and doctors are starting to understand this stress disease connection. And, um, and you know, I went to the best doctors in the world at the time because, you know, my parents were doing everything they could. I was really bad, man. I mean, at one point I was down to 112 pounds and I'm five foot nine. So I was pure skin and bone. I couldn't eat 
anything. I was in excruciating pain. Um, you know, and, and of course I had all sorts of emotional trauma and issues that went along with this. So my family and my parents were trying to get me all of the help that they could. And I kid you not, not one doctor, the best medical doctors in the world, not one of them said to me, what's going on in your emotional life? How are you dealing with this in terms of your stress and your feelings? What happened in high school, in middle school, when you were a kid? What are some of the underlying psychological ailments that could be causing this? And now, what's happening in your life right now that's exacerbating it and making it worse? Right. So, anyway... Well, Western, medi Western medicine can only go so far because they don't deal with those issues, those emotional issues. Exactly. Yeah. And you need both, you yeah, know, you, need, you, do. you know, you need me Western medicine because I'm on medication now that without it, I'd be very sick. Mm -hmm. But if I had relied solely on Western medicine and I didn't understand the Eastern practices of the connection between the mind and the body, mm -hmm. then I would still be extremely sick. Right. So that's a little about, you know, the. Oh, and to answer your question, the moment that I got diagnosed, mm -hmm. it was one of the scariest moments of my life because my doctor said, this is something you have, and if you don't treat it now, you're going to get colon cancer by the time you're 25. Wow. And three separate doctors told me the same thing. So I knew that that was legit because I you know, was having a pretty bad case at the time. Mm -hmm. um, the ironic thing was that I tried and tried and tried to clean it up and to get better, and I couldn't right. because, as I said, I was only treating the physical ailments. I wasn't treating the psychological ailments. Right. The word incurable. A scary they, one, man. When they told you that, what went through your head? Incurable. When you heard that word. <sighs> the first the first thing that went through my head was, what the hell am I going to do? Yeah. It was just shock, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then you, you feel like there's something wrong with you. You feel like a cripple, mm -hmm. you feel like girls are never gonna want you, you feel like anywhere you go, you're always gonna have to take medication with you. You, you feel like a second class citizen. Right. You don't feel like a regular human being. And that feeling, that way of seeing yourself mm -hmm. does more damage than the disease itself. And I will say that again, seeing yourself as a cripple, seeing yourself as undesirable, mm -hmm. unlovable, mm -hmm. as a victim to this terrible thing that you have to deal with the rest of your life, mm -hmm. that perception of yourself is more damaging than the disease. Wow. And so the self, way your self perception is more damaging than the disease itself. Yes. And I will tell you how I know this. May, 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 may God strike me dead if I'm exaggerating. The, the reason that I know this is that now I'm happy, I'm confident, I'm strong, I'm in great shape, thank God. Mm -hmm. I don't see myself as a cripple. I don't see myself as unlovable. All you know, I don't even think of the word incurable anymore the way that I used to. Mm -hmm. And now my disease is totally under control. Do I have bad days? Of course. Yeah. Do I wish I didn't have it? Of course. Is it my fault that I have it? Of course not, mm -hmm. right? 
But now that I can, that I see myself as the one who controls this disease, and I see myself as the one who has the power to have an amazing life, even though I have to live with this, the disease is manageable. It's when I see myself as a slave to the disease and someone who's paralyzed and someone who's never going to have a good life that that's when the disease is actually, you know, actually will kill you. Right. So it's really the perception of yourself that's doing the most damage. I think that's so powerful. (laughs) Perception, the perception of yourself is even deadlier than the disease itself. That's a tweetable, <laughs> tweetable <laughs> moment, guys. That's <laughs> write that down because that's a, that's very important. And uh, so you were saying now that you're in a place to where you're great, right? And you have your days. But there was a a time to where you were at a place that was very dark. Oh yeah. Um, and it got to the to the the place to where you were thinking about committing suicide yes so i've never had that thought process um thank god um but i've had family members who've who've had it and but you really can't understand it you know if you're not going through it but can you just in in your best way just kind of take us through what's going on in your head when you're contemplating suicide are you thinking about like if i do this are you thinking about your family or you're just, you know, thinking about you. It's so or you're thinking like it's the pain is too much to bear. I can't do it anymore. What is what is that mindset? Because I feel like a lot of people have opinions on people who commit suicide. Yeah. But they don't really know what it's like yeah. to be in that mind frame. Yeah, I mean, some people have had it way worse than me. Some people, right. you know, actually took a gun to their head and by the grace of God, they missed their brain by half an inch or something. And then they lived to tell the tale. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have anything crazy like that. But um, what I can tell you, you know, about the the mindset that you're in when you're suicidal or even when you're just severely depressed, um, it's not a mindset that you can really understand, as you said, unless you've been there. But it's a couple of things. First of all, you have to understand that people who think like that, they're sick. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not healthy human beings. When I was 19 and 20 and I was thinking like that, I, I did not have the brain function of a regular 20-year-old. So you have to understand it's kind of like you're talking to an alien. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you're talking to somebody who's, who's from a different planet. When you tell them, I love you, I'm here for you, I support you, don't take your life, you know, let's get you in therapy. When you are like a support system to them, you're speaking Chinese to them. They, they, I would not have understood that. You're actually helping me because I don't want to put out anybody's business, business so I'm going to just say a family member. Okay. Like when I'm trying to get to a family member who's dealing with this, like depression, and I'm trying to get to them. And it's kind of like what you said. It's like speaking a different language. Like they, they don't. They're not going to get it. It's like nothing. Like, yeah, like it just goes, just bounces off. Exactly. It just goes in one ear and out the other. And you you can't blame them for that because they're sick. They're so sick that their entire brain chemistry has changed. Mm -hmm. Their body has changed their muscles, their heart. You know, the, the body physically changes when you are, when you are depressed to the point where things in your blood cells start to happen. Another thing they talk about in the book. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 really crazy. 
Um, your body also majorly changes when you're when you have anxiety. Yeah. Again, to the point where your blood cells, if 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 you taste the blood of a healthy person and you taste the blood of an anxious person, they taste different. The blood of an anxious person is more sour. Fun fact, but it's crazy. Anyway, wow. the point is, so th the first thing is that people who are depressed or suicidal, you got to understand that you're not going to be able to speak their language mm -hmm. because where they're at in life is, is just, you can't really put yourself there. Right. However, here's what you can do. Um, I can't speak for everybody. When people think of, of people who are suicidal, the first thing that comes to mind is you want to take your life because the pain is too great, right? Mm -hmm. You're in so much pain that you would, ra you just want to like escape this earth and go to somewhere peaceful. Right. There is an element of that. Mm -hmm. um, there was an element of that for me, but I'll tell you what the bigger element was for me. The bigger element for me was, and, and this is dark, so I'm sorry, and you know. People are going through this. So bear like, with go, me. Go there. Yeah. The, the, the bigger element for me was I hate myself so much mm -hmm. that if I live or die, it's not going to matter. And, yeah, I thought about my mom and I thought about my sister and I thought about people who love me. But really, truly, what was going through my head was I hate who I am. And I hate my life so much that this the world will be a better place without me. If I don't wake up tomorrow, people will be sad, but the world is just going to roll on. That's honestly how I thought. And from t talking to other people who have had this type of depression, they have been like, yes, that is on the money. That's how that, that family member is, that, actually. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so there there were two things that really brought me out of that. Mm -hmm. The first thing was that I had a couple friends, God bless them, who told me, hey, man, whatever you're going through, I'm here for you. If you want to get ice cream, I'm here for you. If you want to talk about it, I'm here for you. If you don't want to talk about it, I'm here for you. Just, just know that I care about you, right. right? It was a couple of people who really saved my life by just telling me that, you know, not putting pressure on me, not what's going on with you. You need therapy. You need this. Yeah. But just reminding me that, that I actually matter. Exactly. But the thing that really got me out of it mm -hmm. was, you know, I, I have a, a younger cousin. She's like a little sister to me, and, and I love her more than anything. Mm -hmm. And the thing that really got me out of it was realizing that she needed my help. Mm -hmm. And so it was no longer about me. It was, I have to get myself out of this and I can't commit suicide because there's someone else in the world mm -hmm. who needs me. And that has been the most powerful thing. The saving grace. Yes. The most powerful saving grace I have seen is not when someone overcomes their transformation, mm -hmm. you know, overcomes their problems for themselves. Right. It's when they overcome their problems because there's a higher purpose for them. Mm -hmm. They have to be there for someone else. Maybe your higher purpose is God, right? I can't take my life and I can't succumb to whatever's going on in my life because I am a warrior of God and I have to stay loyal to God. Maybe it's your mom. My mom is sick. I'm her caregiver. I'm all she has left. So I, you know, I have to be there for her 
Maybe it's your work, your best friend, your son, whatever. Mm -hmm. When you take yourself out of the equation Mm -hmm. and you make someone else or something else the reason why you have to carry on, then your chances are much, much higher because it's no longer about you. However, the catch-22 is that when you're depressed like that, it's hard to see that. you are all you think about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why you're so fucking depressed, excuse right. my language. The reason we're so depressed is that all we think about all day long is me, me, me. Right. And the reason that I'm happy now mm-hmm. is that all day long I'm doing my best to help other people. Right. So I don't even have time to think about my own dumb shit. Right. We all have dumb shit, but you know, I'm happy now because... I think about it and I deal with it with mm-hmm. my therapy and with my coach and, you know, whatever. Right. And then the rest of the time, I'm trying to do kind things for other people. And right. that is what helps me. One thing I like about you and your platform is that kind of a problem I have with self-help people is that they, you know, paint this picture of you can be this, you can do that but they don't really include the how-to manual, mm-hmm. right? So when a guy, uh, a person sees that and they try to, you know, emulate that and then it doesn't work, then they'll fall back, right back into it. So I, what I like about you is... And they think they're a failure. Right, exactly. Because like, they oh, think... it worked for that person, but it didn't work for me. Exactly. Yeah. And what I like about you is, is you are, like, transparent in the way that you tell people, hey, like, you're like you're a life coach, but you're like really like a coach. Like you think of sports, yeah, you yeah. tell a, a you know an athlete like, hey, you can be really good, but you're gonna have to be in this gym every day, mm-hmm. working at your craft. And that's the same thing with your mental health and your well-being. Um, it's like a, every day you wake up, and this is for anybody. Like you don't even have to have like severe depression. Like you can just be quote unquote you know live a normal life, but every day you get up you're going to have a set of challenges and you're going to have to redo, you know what I mean? And you're going to have to work on yourself every single day. But what I find is like a lot of these self-help people don't preach that. And that's what I like about your platform. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, a a lot, most of the self-help community is telling you what you need to do, not how you need to do it. They'll say, oh, you need to love yourself more. Well, like, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, no shit, Sherlock. Right. <laughs> you know, oh, well, what does that even mean? Yeah. You know, what does the terms to love yourself mean? And how do I do it's it? It's subjective, right? People, like, you can love yourself in different ways. Like, people have different ways of going about, you know, Right. So, themselves. So, you know, I need some guidance. Like, I'm listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm list- reading this book or whatever because I need practical guidance. Right. And, uh... And yeah, so that that's something I really try to do is get very down into the nitty gritty of the how to. But the other the other thing that you just mentioned about practicing every day, mm-hmm. people don't like to hear that. Yeah. And and I push that message all the time. I tell people we were talking about Kobe earlier. Mm-hmm. And look, man, everybody knows the stories about Kobe. Yeah. First in the gym, day. last to leave, yep. used to shoot 100 three free throws a day or whatever he would do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you know, when it comes to our emotional issues, when it comes to our physical health, when it comes to our relationships, you don't have to do a Kobe. Right. You know, you don't have to work on it 12 hours a day mm-hmm. because that's going to drive you nuts. Right. But you do have to do something every yeah. day. You know, there's no such thing as being the world champion of self-help. But, you know, so like you, you, you can't 
you can't try to be that the way Kobe was trying to be the world champion of basketball. Right. But if you're trying to get better at tennis, mm-hmm. you have to go practice tennis several times a week, right? Yes. So you're not going to be great at tennis by playing once a week with your instructor. Right. The instructor is going to tell you, hey, like this will help you. But mm-hmm. the other three, four days a week, you got to be here putting in your shots. Right. It's the same exact thing with our finances, our relationships, our body, whatever. No one loses. And lo- understanding, like to continue the sports analogy, it's another thing that they don't preach is that there will be setbacks. Like, <laughs> you know, absolutely Kobe didn't have a great game every time, but his his dedication to getting better didn't change. Like some days he had an off game, but he didn't quit. Right. He just went back to work. Right. And that's something else that is not preached a lot either. Like you're going to have setbacks. Like it's inevitable. It's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, they don't we and when it comes to setbacks we we actually are fed the the opposite message. We're set, we're fed the wrong message. Right. So there is something that I call the paradox of success. Mm-hmm. And I say the paradox of success is that you will be successful if you're willing to set the bar just low enough. Mm-hmm. And it's a paradox because when you think of being successful, you think I got to set my bar high. I got to put it up here Mm -hmm. and then I have to strive every day to meet this standard. Okay. That's not how Kobe did it. Mm -hmm. That's not how anybody who's successful does it. Mm -hmm. What they do is they set a bar that's down here at knee level. When they reach that bar, they bring it up a few inches to hip level. When they reach hip level, they bring their bar up to the torso level, right? So every time you hit a success, you are now at your level of competency. So you push it up a little more, and then now you're at that level. So as you raise your bar, your level of competency in whatever you're doing, losing weight, mm-hmm. getting healthier, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, your finances, whatever you're doing, your bar is slowly, slowly increasing. But if you take a, if you have a standard for yourself and you put it above your head, it's like a baby trying to dunk on a 10-foot hoop, right? The baby needs time to grow. The baby needs time to learn how to play basketball. Eventually, when that baby grows into a full-grown man, he will dunk, right. right? But you'll be successful if when you're starting out in whatever endeavor it is, you have the humility right. to set the bar a little lower. Right. Reach that bar, then raise it. Because right. I'm sure anybody who... You know, going back to the Kobe analogy, everybody knows that he didn't go from being world. He wasn't world champion when he was 17 years old. I'll give you a perfect example. Tell me. I have Kobe stories for days. Okay. (laughs) So when he was in, um, when he first moved back from Italy to Philadelphia, um, you know, the competition is a a lot different here in the States. So all these kids in his class was way better than him. Um, the so, Philly, the Philly kids. Yeah, the Philly kids were way, way better than him. So Kobe, which is crazy, like thirteen, <laughs> devised a plan to get a little bit better every year. Mm. And he said, the thing that separates me from these guys is that they, they are relying on athleticism, but they can't outwork me. Mm. You know, so year by year, I'm gonna get a little bit better. And he said he got a little bit better every year. This year he added, added a fadeaway. This year he added a jumper. This year he added this. And to win when they got to like 18, it wasn't as close. Right. So that kind of goes with what you were saying. A hundred percent. I recently started investing in stocks. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything really about the stock market. My, my best friend has been helping me. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, you hear about these people who invest in the stock market and they become millionaires and then they retire when they're like 35. Okay. Well, I don't know how any of those people did it, but what I do know from reading all of these books on finance is that if you invest, let's say $1,000 a month or $500 a month or whatever Mm -hmm. into a certain stock and it has a 10 or 20% interest rate and every month you put a little bit more then that interest compounds. And so now you're making money on the interest as well as making money on the initial amount that you put in. Okay. So every month you're putting in 500 bucks. Then eventually you start putting in 750. Then eventually you start putting in a thousand. And as you put in more and more money, the amount of money that you're making on that investment is growing because the initial amount is getting larger. The point I'm trying to make is I can't go from having a thousand bucks in my bank account to investing a hundred thousand dollars into a stock account right it has to be baby steps process. it's a process yeah. but that process is you will be successful yeah. if you start with a lower bar and then just be patient and raise it a little bit a few inches every time right so i want to go back real fast so we're talking about giving people like tangible things mm. steps so when you were coming out of your depression and and all that, what take us through your day-to-day routine, your day-to-day quote-unquote practice in order to get you to where you are right now? Okay, well, first of all, it didn't start until after, I want to say, a good four years of being like severely depressed, mm-hmm. anorexic, anxious, sick. So my routine, while I was in that state of mind and that physical state was terrible. Uh, But in order to make it better, I'll tell you some of the practical things that I did. Um, Man, there there are so many. And I didn't do them all at the same time, by the way. I applied the baby step principle. Yeah. First thing I started doing was I got a job that I enjoyed. I got a job at a coffee shop. Um, because I really like people and I really like food and drinks and hospitality. Mm -hmm. So I got a job where the environment was somewhere that I wanted to be in and it took my mind off of things. And I really enjoy serving people food, drinks. I really enjoy creating a hospitable experience. So again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, which was what could I do that was gonna, that was gonna allow me to do something nice for other people. Okay. So I had that. Um, this is, you know, I'm, I'm skipping over some timelines. But another thing that I did was I got a meditation teacher. And he taught me how to meditate. And I meditate every day, twice a day uh, for the last, I don't know, five years or so. Mm-hmm. And that meditation has saved my life because it brought my anxiety way down. You don't need to get a meditation teacher. You can use Calm. You can use Headspace. You can use YouTube. The key is the only bad meditation is the one you don't do. So as long as you meditate for five minutes, ten minutes a day, Mm -hmm. seven days a week, it'll make a huge difference in your life. That was another one of the practical tools. Uh, The third one, which is perhaps the most useful, was I got professional help. And I stopped trying to do it on my own. Over the course of the the last 10 years, I've had a couple coaches. I've had a couple of therapists. 
I've had a couple of specialists in, you know, different different areas of my life and I made the investment in them and it was expensive. And when I was young, my parents helped me. When I was older, I started to pay for it. But, you know, if I threw you a life, if you were drowning in the ocean and I threw you a life jacket, are you going to throw it behind your head and say, no, I got this. I'm going to do it on my own. I would not. You would not. <laughs> no, you know, but that's what we do when we're struggling is yeah, we don't suppress it. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't spend the money and the time to actually work with professionals. That was the third thing. Um, I, the fourth thing was that I found outlets for myself. One of my outlets is playing music. Mm-hmm. Another one of my outlets is exercising. And I made it a point to play music, to exercise, to meditate every day. And then I had my job um, on the day, whatever days I had the work. And I had my therapy and my coaching on whatever days I had the work. So the point was that five, six, seven days a week, I was doing something. I was doing one thing that was Reactive. constructive. Exactly. I know I keep plugging this book. <laughs> it is my book club choice, so I should plug it. But it's a great book. Is that what it says it. too? I, yes. Yes. It, it was going to your point about exercising and playing music. It was saying the key to getting back regulated or balance mm. is rhythm. Mm walking, running, exercising, music. They said since you were a child in your mother's womb, you were conditioned to see rhythm with balance when you hear your mother's heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And when you're a child, a baby, obviously when you're upset, you're crying, you know, you rock the baby. Right. You know what I mean? So it's all rhythm, and we've been conditioned to see rhythm with balance. So when you made that point, about uh, you exercising and playing music. I thought about that. Yeah, man, I've never read this book, yeah. but it, you know, you're you're bringing it up often as I'm talking because the things I'm saying are not rocket science. Right. Everybody has heard some version of this. What's the difference between me and whoever is listening to this right now? Sure. The difference is one word: consistency. Consistency. That you know, the difference is you 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 find an action that's going to make you feel better and you take that action and you do it day in day out work putting it, in the work just putting in the work and it yeah. doesn't have to be that much it's mm-hmm. just consistency now there are two other things that I want to mention okay. in terms of my practical guidance mm-hmm. um, of how I got myself out of depression that are so important one is I started making better choices in terms of how I spend my time I stopped going to stupid parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stopped drinking alcohol. I was never a big drinker, but I drank for like, you know, the first couple months of college. And I was like, this doesn't do anything for me and makes me feel terrible. Um, I stopped going on dates with girls who made me feel terrible. And I stopped hanging out with people who made me feel terrible. I lost a lot of friends my first couple years of college, people who I'd been friends with from high school and childhood. Mm-hmm. I didn't lose them by choice. They saw that I was going through a hard time and they ditched my ass. But you know what? Instead of chasing after those people, I let them go and I replaced them with new people and better people who actually had my back. So when I say I made wiser choices Mm -hmm. in terms of my time and who I spent my time with, I really started kind of aligning myself with where I wanted to be rather than where I was because where I was was lost alone depressed confused 
and losing my friends and no girls wanted to talk to me and etc you know not making great decisions and i said okay this is not where i want to be right so let me choose friends and environments that align with where i do want to be right does that make sense makes total sense instead of letting life happen to you you took control of it i tried yeah yeah i tried and that's a decision every single person I mean, if you want to know what God is, Mm -hmm. God is the fact that God is is the blessing that every morning you wake up, Mm -hmm. you have the ability to choose. You can choose where you go. You can choose what you say to yourself. Mm -hmm. You can choose who you call. You can choose what you do that day to make your life better. Right. That is I, I don't know any freedom that's greater than that. But going back to your point about at the beginning about perception. Yes. You can't get to that point until you change your perception because yep. if your percep- perception of yourself is negative then you're you're going to think that you deserve bad friends you deserve women who treat you like trash like that's how you'll feel of course man i mean why why did i have bad friends and women who treated me like trash mm-hmm. because i was treating myself like trash you know i don't want to say that it was my fault because yeah. i don't want anyone to feel like if bad things happen to them in their lives like they did something wrong right You know, but the truth is that how is anybody going to respect you if you disrespect yourself? Right. How is anybody going to look at you and say, wow, I want I would love to be friends with that person. He's such an inspiration. Mm -hmm. If you're completely down in the dumps and you hate yourself and you think you're like the worst thing. Right. You know what I'm saying? So we really do. You know, so much of the people who we attract into our lives Mm -hmm. and so much of the treatment we receive in our lives is based on our treatment of ourselves. Sure. My dad always says you teach people how to treat you. You teach people how to treat you, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, I recently heard that you get in life what you tolerate. Right. You know, and of course, everybody, bad things happen to people all the time and it's it's not your fault, you know, but when it comes to people, if you tolerate poor treatment, it's gonna continue. And more importantly, if you're disrespecting yourself, And if you're treating yourself poorly, then that's exactly how people are going to treat you. Exactly. So how do we how do we get from Crohn's disease, depression to life coach mentor? Well, I know that's a long process, by the way. But (laughs) yeah, I I won't I won't walk you through, you know, the entire process step by step because it's kind of what gave you that idea. Yeah. What clicked in your head? Like, okay. I think this is where I'm going to go now. Yeah. So it was a few things. First of all, ever since I was a kid, like 12, 13 years old, people always told me, oh, you got to be a therapist. You got to write a book. You got to give speeches. And I would always think, oh, no, you know what? Why would anybody want to hear what I have to say? Right. I always kind of brushed it off. But I did always have an ability to connect with people and listen to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't. I guess make them feel good. Um, I guess that was just kind of a talent that that I was born with maybe um so later in my life I started to think well maybe maybe I do have this this ability maybe I do have this talent to connect with people and understand them because people have been telling me that my whole life right um so so that was the first thing the second thing though was I had I had a realization that my story was not unique and that 
almost everyone I know who's in their 20s and 30s, including all the people who are in this room right now, have dealt with some form. Everybody has something. Yes. Yeah. We've all dealt with some form of the of the issues I've talked about on this podcast. We have all dealt with some form of depression, relationship issues, low self-confidence, not knowing what you want to do with your life, not liking your body. Like, let's just take those five areas. Right. Everyone everybody. has dealt with yep. some form of that. And so what I realized was, oh, my God, you know, I have this crazy story and I was so depressed and I was suicidal and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, for most people, even if they didn't get to that extreme, they share a part of my story and they are going through some form, some degree of what I went through. And when I realized that it was like a real come to Jesus moment where, you know, I felt like I was kind of being slapped in the face which was, why the hell are we all so anxious, confused, depressed, lost? We're supposed to be in the prime of our lives. Mm-hmm. Why are we all going through this? Right. What is going on here? What's in the water? And nothing's in the water. It's that we're not making the right decisions. Mm-hmm. It's that we're consuming the wrong information. It's a lack of faith. Mm-hmm. It's a lack of consistency. It's a lack of practice. And it's a lack of accountability and personal responsibility. And everything, every one of those things that I just said, I didn't have any of it. I didn't have any faith. I didn't have any personal responsibility. I had all the wrong information and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. So when I had this realization, you know, what came to mind for me was, A, people have been telling me that I'm good with people and that I connect with them. Mm-hmm. So this could be a good profession for me. But B... No one taught me this. I had to go. I had to learn all of this stuff myself over the course of the last 10 years. Maybe I can save people some time. You know, maybe I can share. You know, they say that a smart person learns from their mistakes, but a wise person learns from others mistakes. Right. So maybe I can take somebody, hold their hand and say, yo, don't make my mistakes. You know, let me tell you what I went through. Let me tell you how I turned it around. And that way, you know, you can get your life back on track faster than I did. Right. Man. So it goes back to what you were saying earlier about even you were setting these steps without even knowing it from like the coffee shop mm. service, you know, all these things you did in service to others and which ultimately led to what you're doing now. Yeah. And. And I said earlier that I'm skipping over a lot of steps because, like, it was a lot of trial and error, man. Those are the things that worked for me, but I only know that stuff now. I didn't know it at the time. At the time, I was fumbling. Throwing stuff at the wall. Exactly. And I did a lot of stuff that did not work. Right. You know, I had a lot of friendships that didn't work out. I had girlfriends that didn't work out. I joined clubs that didn't work out. You know, I read self-help books that... I had that experience where I was like, well, everyone else is getting it. Why aren't I? What's wrong with me? So a lot of stuff didn't work out. But now what I want to do is sort through all of that and be able to share with people. Here's the stuff that works and here's the stuff that is a waste of time. Right. How do you deal with life coach skepticism? (laughs) Okay. Well, first of all, I hate the word life coach. Okay. What do you prefer? Well, whatever. For me, it it doesn't matter. I mean, I call myself a personal coach. Um, Personal coach. Because I 
for me it's really about the personal relationship right um and also a life i don't know life coach is just so all-encompassing like there there are ten thousand, you know um but look man the skepticism should be real yeah um there's a lot of terrible coaches out there Mm -hmm. there's a lot of terrible therapists out there i don't know if you've ever been in therapy Okay, well, if you ever spend some time in therapy, I preach it so much, but I haven't been. <laughs> I preach it so much too, yeah. but I preach it with the caveat that, you know, therapists are extremely private about their private lives. They don't share anything with you. A lot of the time, that's because their private lives are so messed up, and they're kind of telling you, "Do as I say, not as I do." Yeah, you know. So, and there's a lot of coaches like that too, man. Right. So the skepticism is real you know and look i'm not i'm not perfect i've got a lot of problems in my life just like everybody else i think it's important to verbalize to whoever you know like hey i'm not coming off as you know holier than thou like i'm still in a process myself yes but i'm just you know telling you what i've learned thus far yeah exactly that's important because when you come to people like that then it's like okay yeah exactly i mean look like i I do a ton of dating and relationship coaching, mm-hmm. but I'm not married. But I preach that I preach the importance of marriage and long-term relationships all the time, right? right? So there's an example of how I'm not perfect and I don't have it figured out yet. Mm-hmm. However, what I do have is every issue that I work on with people is something that I've overcome. Like before, I had no idea what goes into a healthy relationship. Now I know exactly how to have a healthy relationship. Before I kept attracting the wrong people for me, mm-hmm. who I, you know, we were not a match. Now, every time I go on a date with somebody, it's it's pretty close. Yeah. It's somebody that has potential. I feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Before I hated my dating life. Now I'm pretty happy with my dating life. So those are things I have figured out. A- have I taken it all the way? You know, do I have a million dollars in the bank, beautiful house in the hills, Mm -hmm. baby, wife, all the, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. No, but I know what it takes to get there. Right. And alongside you, I'm in the process of building that. And the only difference is that I figured these things out through trial and error. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to teach you and help you save a little bit of time. Right. So there's somebody watching right now who's ready to give up thinking they can't continue thinking that they're less than so if you had some advice for them what would it be first of all there is no limit to the number of things you can do with your life and there's no limit to the power that your life can have when you make a decision that you want better than what's right now but I can't bring you to that place to want better it's not that hard to change it's really hard to want to change so what I would say is Get on your knees and ask God or your spirit guides or the universe or your friends. Ask someone to give you the courage to change. Ask someone to give you the strength and help you get to the place where you want better for your life. Mm 
because you have to want better for your life. And if you do, then you can learn the right changes to implement. And then, as I said, there's no limit to what you can do. But no one's going to do it for you. And this isn't the the most loving thing I could say. It's not the most compassionate thing I could say. Mm -hmm. But it's the most helpful thing I can say. The most helpful thing I can say is you can have anything you want in your life, but no one's going to do it for you. And whatever has happened to you in your life, I am so sorry. I wish I could take your pain away. But now that it's here, you own the market. If something breaks in aisle six and there's a spill, if a little kid comes in and breaks something in the market, you have to clean it because it's your market. You know, your life. I'm so sorry that, that this is what has happened. And again, I, I wish I could take your pain away. But you, it's on you. I can help and your friends can help and other people can support you. But you're the one who has to want to make those changes. And as soon as you do, that's 70% of the battle right there. Right. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you guys for listening. And that is it for this episode of the All That Podcast.